gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take a portion of that gospel reading from Mark's gospel chapter 1. Mark's gospel chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. Mark 1 verses 12 and 13. In fact, I want you to look at that in the Pew Bible if you're making use of that. Page 994. Page 994. Mark's gospel, in just two verses. In fact, it's the shortest account that we have of Jesus' time in the wilderness and his temptation at the hand of Satan. Mark's gospel, chapter 1, and beginning at verse 12. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. This morning I want to talk about the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to be you. That Jesus knows what it's like to be you. And Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be you theoretically. Rather, Jesus knows what it's like to be you experientially. And that's because in addition to him being fully God, Jesus is fully human. Which brings us then to this first of four things that I want to say about this this morning. And the first is that Jesus knows what it's like to live in submission to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus knows what it's like to live in submission to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that's like if you're a true believer. Indeed, uh, Paul writing to the believers at Rome wrote this in Romans chapter 8 and beginning at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God, are the children of God. Are you a child of God? Well, if you're a child of God, then this will be characteristic of your life, that you are led by the Spirit. And Jesus knows, too, what it's like to be led by the Spirit and His submitting to that leading. Indeed, notice again, verse 12. And the Spirit immediately drove Him 
into the wilderness. Now this is the same Holy Spirit that came like a dove and rested upon Jesus at his baptism. And Mark says that immediately after his baptism, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, that is the Judean wilderness, which isn't so very far from Jerusalem and was uh, just, is just south and a little bit west of where Jesus was baptized on the Jordan River. I've been in that uh, wilderness. It is rugged. Uh, if you like desert terrain, it's beautiful. Uh, but there's not much out there. And it's not far from Jerusalem. That's where bandits go to hide, and that's where prophets and monks go to become even more holy than they are already. John lived in the wilderness. In fact, he was a voice, what? Crying in that wilderness. And that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness is a rather intense, almost a violent sort of an expression. In fact, uh, the word uh, the drove, is the, behind it is the Greek word ekbalo. Balo, uh, in the first person singular, means I throw. In fact, that's where we get the word ball. It comes from the Greek balo, I throw. Ek means out. That's where we get these signs, exit. Ek means out. It means to th the Holy Spirit threw him out <laughs> into the wilderness. Or as some versions uh, have it um, and their translation of Ekbalo that, that the Spirit thrust him. Or as we have it with Peterson in the message that the, that the, the Spirit pushed him. Or as we have it here in the ESV and many other translations that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And so this, that the Spirit did this, a rather intense expression, but the implication is that, that the wilderness is where God the Father and God the Holy Spirit wanted Jesus to be. Now, it's interesting. I, I mean, whenever I have experienced wilderness kind of experiences in my life, I have thought that perhaps this is not a good place to be at all. And maybe in various different aspects, there wasn't goodness there. Um, but as I look back, um, it exactly was just the place God wanted to me, me to be, and God couldn't have accomplished in me and through me the things He has accomplished in me and through me without that desert experience. And so Jesus obeyed the prompting of the Spirit and headed out alone into the wilderness. And so that's the first thing. Jesus knows what it's like to live in submission to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus knows what it's like to persevere when faced with the threat of a hostile circumstance. Jesus knows what it's like to persevere when faced with the threat of a hostile circumstance. Indeed, Mark says in verse 13 that Jesus was in the wilderness not just for a day trip like I'm familiar with and take a bus in and a bus out and go see En Gedi and see the palm dates and places where and see um, uh, um, where the Essenes lived. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. And if we know our Old Testament, we know that Jesus accomplished, 
What Jesus accomplished in 40 days was something that the children of Israel couldn't accomplish in 40 years. Indeed, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and beginning at verse 2, just before that, at the end of their 40 years wilderness wandering, and prior to Moses' death, and their entering into the promised land led by Joshua, their general, if you like, Moses wrote this, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you. And by the way, that's oftentimes what God is trying to accomplish in you in the wilderness. Is to humble you. Because that's important to God. What did Micah say? And you know, O man, what God requires of you, that you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And whereas the children of Israel failed spiritually and miserably so in the wilderness Jesus succeeded. In fact, of the other accounts, all of them, Jesus is battling with Satan seemingly one last time at the end of the 40 days. Three times he answers the devil's temptations and testings with quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, including the one I just read. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of of God. Indeed, notwithstanding the pressure and the trials that Jesus faced in the wilderness, Jesus remained faithful to God. And when you remain faithful to God in the wilderness and come out the other end, it's no small thing. And so Jesus accomplished in 40 days what the children of Israel could not accomplish in 40 years. And then Mark says something rather curious in verse 13, that Jesus was with the wild animals. What an extraordinary thing to say. And in Jesus' day, there were more species of wild animals in Israel than there are today. In fact, we know from the stories of Samson and David that in ancient times there were lions in Israel. And by the way, there's no, there's, no, uh, there's, no, there's no land break between Israel and, and Africa. And to think that, the, that lions, and of course David talked about killing a lion and killing a bear. That those animals and others perhaps. The point seems to be that, um, that, that Mark is making is that Jesus was in a hostile place. Not only a hostile environment, but with wild animals that had the potential of doing him harm. This made me think about Daniel. You know Daniel. You remember Daniel? 
the story of Daniel and the lions. Daniel is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Many of the things that he experienced are are a premonition of what was to come in the life of Christ. And Jesus said so many times that the scriptures, they speak of me. They speak of me. But in Daniel chapter 6 and beginning at verse 4, it was Daniel, you will remember, was a high official. First with the Babylonians and then with the Persians. And they kept him around because he was a blessing to everything that they did. And he was honest and he was good and he was effective. And people that are like that oftentimes not only are praised by their superiors, but often hated and resented by their equals. And so we read in Daniel 6 and beginning at verse 4, And the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they they couldn't find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said to each other, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So we need to set him up to take him out. And so it continues. And then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it can be changed changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, the text says, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And so so Daniel stopped praying to his God because it was against the law. No, no. Verse 10, and when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition or any, to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel is one of the exiles of Judah, and he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunctions that you've signed, but makes a petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was very distressed And set his mind to deliver Daniel. Why? He didn't have any beef with Daniel. Daniel was good for the king. And he labored till the sun went down to try to rescue Daniel. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, 
that it is the law of the Medes and Persians with no injunction, with that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you, Daniel. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting with no diversions, no entertainment, no TV that night. And sleep fled from him. He couldn't sleep worrying about Daniel. And then at daybreak, as soon as it was possible and as soon as there was enough light to see, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared, Daniel, O servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? <laughs> And then David said to the king, O king, live forever. <laughs> My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness and with the wild animals. And God protected him. Just like he protects you and me. And so Jesus knows what it's like to persevere when faced with the threat of a hostile circumstance in no short order because when we're called to do that, God is with us. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And fear not because I go with you, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Thirdly, Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted by the evil one. Indeed, Mark says in verse 13 that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being, it's a present participle meaning that while he was there, this was going on. He was tempted by Satan. And so the three temptations that we're familiar with from Matthew and Luke, in fact, it says that. And when he came to the end of this time away in the desert, that Satan came to him. Well, this wasn't the first time that Satan came to him. Satan was there the whole time. Indeed, this is something to keep in mind. That there's nothing evil about temptation itself. If you're tempted, that has no reflection on your, your, mor your morality or your spiritual state. Neither is it any kind of indication of a weak faith that people who are weak in faith are the ones who are tempted. Jesus wasn't weak in faith. He had a faith that was never broken, notwithstanding the onslaught of the satanic attack. Indeed, Madeline Lengel, in her introduction to C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, wrote this. She said, the stronger the faith the more savagely will Satan storm its fortress. <laughs> the stronger the faith, the more savagely will Satan storm the fortress. 
And so one can only imagine the intensity of Satan's attack on Jesus in the wilderness, which I suppose gives all the more significance to that encouragement that we have in the letter to the Hebrews, even as it relates directly to this. In Hebrews chapter 4 and beginning at verse 14, and by the way, the, the church to which the writer to the Hebrews is writing was a church that was being persecuted and having all sorts of trouble just getting on, providing for themselves because they were Jewish believers and they were being ostracized and otherwise punished for, for turning from the tradition of the rabbis and turning to Christ and saying, He's the Messiah we've always been waiting for. And they said, No, He's not. And now you can't, your son can't marry my daughter. And you can't work for me anymore. And you can't come to synagogue, and on and on. And so the writer writes, and he says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus. He's our great high priest, the one who represents us to the Father. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let's not give up. Our high priest didn't give up. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Another way to put that is he's been tempted in every way that we are and he never gave in. He never gave in. As long as Satan could dish it out, he took it. Until Satan tired of trying to make him fall. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So then, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Near to whose throne? His throne. That we may receive mercy, that is forgiveness when we fail, and find grace to help, that is power, divine unction, to help in time of need. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted by the evil one. Finally, Jesus knows what it's like to be cared for by God. <laughs> he knows what it's like to be cared for by God. Indeed, notice again verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels... We're ministering to him. <laughs> the angels were ministering to him. Going back to the writer to the Hebrews, uh, chapter 1 and verse 14, he describes the angels and he tells us what it is the job of the angels to do. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, are not the angels all ministering or serving spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal salvation? That's what the angels do. They serve for the sake of those who are to inherit eternal salvation. And so if you're a true believer and an heir of salvation, 
You are being served by angels in ways I expect you don't even know. And maybe that'll be something that when the kingdom comes and we are taught from that point and into the ever, throughout the everlasting state, because there'll never be something we can't learn. Maybe we'll learn a little something about that. How the angels protected us and God protected us by sending them. And the angels were serving Jesus in the wilderness. Now, Mark doesn't say anything about how they did it, but he mentions that they did. And it reminded me of the experience of Elijah. He had had this uh, great uh, battle with the, with, the, with, the, with the pagan prophets of Baal, and then when he thought everything was going well and that he had won Israel back to the true God, then Jezebel said, if by tomorrow at this time, you aren't dead at my hand. Then let Baal and the gods do the same to me. And so he ran. And we read in 1 Kings 19 and beginning at verse 4. And Elijah, Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it's enough. I've had it, Lord. No more ministry for me, thank you. <laughs> Don't send me anywhere now, Lord. It's enough, O oh Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a baked cake on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And the text says, And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and nights. To Horeb, the Mount of God. I don't know exactly how the angels were ministering to Jesus, but maybe that's a hint. Maybe they fed him at the beginning. <laughs> and that allowed him to go 40 days and 40 nights. At the Eucharist, every Sunday morning, we pray together these words. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die, as one of us. Indeed, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be you theoretically. Rather, Jesus knows what it's like to be you experientially. And that's because in addition to him being fully God, Jesus also is fully human. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be you.
Amen. Amen. Let us pray. And so, Lord Jesus, you know what it's like to be us. We pray your grace in our lives that we might know what it's more, know more what it's like to be like you. To be more like you, which is our calling. You say, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. If you love me, keep my commandments. Or, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? <laughs> but when I read this, I, th I think, wow, that is so exciting. That's so incredible. And then we stop and think, and, and it's not just for Jesus, it's, it's for us too. For he is, the, he is the model, he is the template into which we're called. And so Lord, help us to see the beauty in this. To follow Jesus and not just use him. To go in the way that he is gone, in the narrow way that leads to life. And as we do it, as we seek first his kingdom and your righteousness, find that everything we have ever needed is provided. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.